Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Royal Strong and True Podcast. We are very excited to be with you because we have actual football to review. We got BYU football. We got college football. Week one recaps. We got some other BYU sports that are going crazy right now that we got to recap. It's going to be a lot of fun. Go over week one of college football with us in this episode. The Nifty Nine is back. You don't want to miss that. And we got some really hot takes and some knee-jerk reactions that you won't want to miss. Before we get into the episode, make sure you're following us on Instagram and Twitter at Loyal2RoyalPod, where you'll find lots of fun and interactive content. Make sure you're visiting our website, RoyalStrongAndTrue.com, where you will find the weekend watch guides that Jared is posting every week. Without further ado, let's get to it, guys. Let's boo. Go Tigers. That field judge on the far side is in their pocket, man. Don't forget that strike! Let's back this bullet. Yeah! <laughs> Let's go wild, Let's man. Go, baby. Let's go. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to another welcome. episode of the Royal Strong and True Podcast. We are here with you. It was a beautiful weekend of college football. It was uh, incredible. Oh, my as, goodness. I, I'm dreaming about it still. <laughs> um, as you can tell, my voice is still coming back to me. I was not in football shape at all. My stomach wasn't. My eyes weren't. And my voice obviously was not. <laughs> um, so bear with us through this. Uh, kind of hectic episode. We have a lot to recap. Week one was a doozy. It was a doozy, but before we get into that, let's take care of some housekeeping. We got some other BYU sports that we need to talk about, even though it is football season and it's the only sport that exists during football season. We do have some things that we need to mention, as well as some questions sent in by the fans. So uh, shout out to you guys. First of all, let's talk about BYU women's soccer, who defeated number one UCLA 3-1. to at home at Southfield and defeated defeated UVU six to one a couple days after the poll, the soccer poll. I don't know if it's AP or whatever it is, the coaches poll. The United something. Soccer Coaches Poll. The United Soccer's coaches, <laughs> the USCP, obviously, uh dropped today. Guess where BYU is at? Uh they would have to be number one, right? After beating the number one team. You'd think that. And you'd be correct. BYU women's soccer for the first time in program history is ranked number one in the nation. Now, BYU's women's soccer coach has already been on the record saying that she's sad that her team is ranked in the top 10 because her team's so young and she feels like they need to play with more of a chip on their shoulder and not get <laughs> complacent. So is this a good thing or a bad thing for women's soccer? Um, I think for us fans, this is a great thing. This is very cool. Uh, but for the team... It can be a bad thing if they don't keep their head on straight because they played incredible against UCLA. They were at home, though. That is the big thing. Uh, sometimes we struggle when going on the road. We only beat Rutgers 1-0 on the road in exhibition. Um, so for the team, forget it, put it out of your mind. But for us fans, let's go. Let's go, baby. Yeah, absolutely incredible for women's soccer. Uh, if you haven't had the chance to go see them or turn on a game on ESPN+, Plus, Absolutely do so. They are a heck of a, a heck of a lot of fun to watch. 
Um, also doing sneakily very well is women's volleyball. They're up to number eight in the AVCA coaches poll. Let's um, go. They have a triple header this week on the road at Towson, at UC Irvine. Decent. And then at number 13, Wazoo. Ooh. Um, it's kind of like a little round robin tournament they're doing up there. So that's something to look out for. Uh, they will have to prove their medal once again. They beat number five Pitt for the first time in like five years. Um, in Montana. In Montana. <laughs> Very <laughs> odd. Uh, but now they have another chance against a really good program. Uh, they've been playing a couple of pushovers lately. Uh, so we'll, we'll get to see them again on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, I think. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but yeah, shout out to those two programs. The women of BYU are low-key carrying the entire athletic programs here. Um, women's cross country, women's track and field, women's soccer, women's volleyball, all absolutely incredible. Uh, us men, uh, football and basketball, namely, uh, need to keep up. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit of a struggle, but Hey, we're one and oh, we're undefeated. That's more than a lot of teams can say. Um, <laughs> let's move on to some fan questions. We did get some mailbag questions. Let's go. Uh, here is your reminder that if you want us to answer literally any question that you have, you'll see here, some of, some of them will be fun. Some of them will be dumb. Um, if, if you have any question at all, just DM us, leave a review, let us know what you want to want us to talk about and we'll do it. Uh, we we'll sell our, we'll sell time on our podcast for nothing more than a question. <laughs> we are slaves to the will of the people. Exactly. This first question comes from, and I don't want to reveal who this is, right? So I'll only use the first name, but his name is Kevin. Oh, um, Okay. Not that anyone would know who Kevin is. Great deal uh, of Kevin's out there. Yes, exactly. There's a lot of them. Some of them are stroke docs. Um, <laughs> just just to name one or two. Just... Uh, just a stroke doc or something, you know. Anyway, um, his mailbag question is this. Would you accept a guaranteed 14-win season for BYU if Utah was guaranteed 15 as well absolutely not i will never <laughs> take that in a million years because you know what that means is that mean the byu goes on to win every regular season game the conference tournament and then a bowl game uh slash playoff game and at that point you would probably be playing utah in the national championship game so if utah was guaranteed a national championship I would not take any deal, no matter what it was, whether I was guaranteed immortality or guaranteed uh, that my toddlers would just grow up straight past the teenager years. I would not take any guarantee if that meant Utah football had any sort of success coming their way. Yeah, no, I got to absolutely agree with you on that one. The only way I could accept this um, exchange is if Utah beat a whole bunch of nobodies like 2020 BYU and BYU's one loss was to like, Alabama and triple overtime and they're still going to the playoff you know mm. Th at that point I could accept it you know but um yeah you know I do not wish success upon that program up north I do not wish even mediocrity uh, upon that <laughs> program up north I wish nothing but uh hellfire and brimstone for them so I could not agree more something that came to my mind though as you were uh, uh as you were talking there um in this new era of the 12-team playoff, we will see teams with 16 and maybe 17 games on the schedule, depending on how many playoff games you play. So there is a possibility that BYU, as a 14-win team, could end up doing better than a 15-team 
15 win Utah, but I will never ever entertain that because that would mean Utah's having a good year. And I don't care if BYU also has a good year. I do not want Utah to have a good year. So uh, call me a sob story rival, but that's exactly how it is. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. This next question comes from our boy, Matt. Um, he, this is a very serious question. Okay. Oh, okay. And I, I really want you to consider it. Big boy pants. Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Okay, yes. Per capita, let's say per 1,000 fans. Okay. Do you think that Lavelle Edwards Stadium per 1,000 fans has the most fans that wear orthopedic shoes than any other school in the nation? (laughs) That is a very good question. I'm trying to think of any competitors, but I don't know if there are any. Yeah. Because I'm trying to per capita, like per thousand, like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like a Stanford or a Cal or like, I I don't know, like Duke and UNC get it, like wake for it. I don't know. But like all these teams, they got a bunch of like young kids that go to like, nobody goes to the game, but I don't think old people are going to the games. Like even less than students at Stanford, old people are going even less to the game. So I think BYU mm. might be the correct answer there, honestly. <laughs> hmm. I think th- there's got to be like a, I don't know, like some random. Jeez, I don't know. I think you, you you might be right. Like I was thinking, maybe like Cal. I don't know. Yeah. Just a bunch of like old people or like, um, you know, kind of like these wine and dine clubs that. Yeah that some college football fans that some, some college football groups are, but no, I, I honestly think that, you know, BYU might be number one. Um, if you think that there's another school that might have a higher per capita orthopedic shoe wearing, um, let us know, let us know, shoot us a DM and tell us who it is, because if it's not BYU, then who could it be? Who it could it be? Um, I think BYU is still uh, fewer than all the NFL teams. I will mm, say that. Okay. I think NFL teams have, uh, more people. Well, I guess the Tar Heels. If you have Tar as, as your heel, then you probably need an orthopedic shoe or two. Yeah. Um, so that's also kind of that wine and dine club. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, maybe UNC. Yeah. Good. Great question, Matt. Great question. Very serious. Uh, I'm glad we were able to, you know, get a little serious and get down to earth here on this uh, fun-loving podcast and talk about orthopedic shoes. Talk about things that really matter. <laughs> All right. Should we move on to the BYU game then instead of just talking about BYU's per capita orthopedic shoe wearing? We do. And I'm going to get it out of the way right right away. We beat Sam Houston Sam Houston 14 to 0. Can you believe that? This is not 1906. This is 2023. 14 to 0. Now hold on, hold on, hold on. I already hear your tone, so let me start you off with a little more positivity, okay? I would appreciate that. BYU played a football game. We saw the royal blue uniform moving on green grass. True, true. Albeit poorly painted, but it was still green grass. Very poorly painted. What happened to the uh, colored end zones, by the way? Yeah, what happened to like the end the end zone line that wasn't even fully filled in? There was green sticking out. Anyway, um, yeah. No negativity. BYU shut out an FBS opponent. That that is true. 
That is factually um, correct. Um, BYU's quarterback ran for two touchdowns. Awesome. Taysom Hill-esque. There's your positivity. Now let's come back down to earth, Jared. <laughs> um, yeah, let's get into it. I, we did this a couple seasons ago. Let's bring it back. It's the knee jerk and after letting it stew, because I will say I have lots of thoughts and I think this is a good way to get them out because in the stadium, uh, it was a different experience. Uh, it was great. Like you said, power was back for the rock. It was electric. Awesome. Um, yeah, I, let's just get into the knee jerk. My first one was just woof. What a horrible game. The offense was terrible. Um, the run game was a massive problem. A-Rod was missing his head or was just missing entirely. We don't, we don't even have confirmation that he was there in the state, in the area code. Um, defense was meh, like way better than in past in the past, but not like great and very much just like a first game. Like there were so many miscues, so many miscommunications, just very much like a brand new game. Uh, I, I felt very, very negatively about this game. More more from the offensive perspective. Um, too many three and outs. We had like five straight punts. There's a fake punt called. We'll get to that later. Um, but my one knee-jerk bright spot, and maybe this just comes from not having watched like college football for a year, but holy crap, Keaton Slovis has an arm. He has one arm. He has two, but he has one. And it he is does. an arm. Uh it was just, it felt different after watching uh, Zach and, and Jaron play. Like, they're great, but I don't know. Something about Keaton's balls, man. They were beautiful. What? What did you just say about his balls? They were beautiful. They were zipping back and forth across the field. <laughs> it was fun to watch. Wow. Okay. Um, strong words from Jared there. I'm going to take over the mic before he says something else. Um yeah, my knee-jerk reaction, this game was incredibly boring, but simultaneously incredibly hilarious. Like, <laughs> once the initial shock of the boringness wore off in the first half, the second half was just an absolute, like, schnikey show. It was just <laughs> hilarious. Like, the fake punt, then all of a sudden, Jacob Robinson becomes the most athletic player in the history of forever, and it starts intercepting things. And then... BYU gets a field goal blocked and returned for a touchdown <laughs> that's simultaneously called back for an offsides and an illegal block in the back downfield where somebody literally tackled our guy. Like it was, and the dude dove into the end zone like freaking Superman. Like he went flying five yards down the field. <laughs> it was that so many funny things happened. It was almost hard not to laugh at some point. Uh, so that's my first New York reaction. The offensive line really struggled and that kind of sucked. Um, you expected the offensive line to dominate. Uh, I was really not impressed by Caleb Etienne, who transferred in and who is listed as an or on the depth chart and was taken out basically the entire second half. So that's kind of whack. Uh, don't know what to see there. Uh, LJ, LJ Martin is the best running back on the roster. Um, he actually like ran and I'm actually really impressed by Dion as well. Um, honestly, all Aiden Robbins was good too, but LJ was the best. Wide receivers were bad, could not could not um, create separation. Literally every ball that Keaton had to throw was into a tight window. It was kind of wacky seeing that. But I'm going to have to disagree with you entirely on the defense. My knee-jerk reaction, Jared, is that that was the best defense I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> did they give up a couple dumb balls here and there? Yeah, sure, they did. 
but they also didn't allow Sam Houston past the 50-yard line the entire first half. Like, when's the last time that you saw that happen when it wasn't LSU doing it to BYU? I was going to say that time, but if it wasn't <laughs> that, then I don't know. When's the last time you saw BYU do that? Are you kidding? If we played Sam Houston State last year with Tuiaki's defense, they'd be past the 50 after the first play. Oh, like, geez. they probably would have returned the kick for a touchdown with Ed Lamb there. Who knows? As, anyway, those are my knee-jerk reactions. I kind of went all over the place there. But, yeah, um, BYU is back um, in the most BYU way possible. Winning games, but doing it uglyly. Ugly. Yes. How, do, how do you say that? Uh, ugly-like? Uh, ugly-ish. Ugly-ishly. <laughs> Uglyly. Um, yeah, I let's dive into a couple things before we get to our after letting it stew. I think the first thing, I mean, we got to talk about the uh, the offsides call on the block field goal. I think that has just as much importance to our season as the <laughs> Algier punch out did in 2021. <laughs> Yep, that could have been a dumpster fire, man. Like, right. because at because that point we were only up seven zero. It would have been a tie game, and that they would have had literally every ounce of momentum. Yes, the, and and like, let's be honest. Like, we didn't win that game. Sam Houston lost it. Like, Sam Houston had a ton of penalties. Um, they got absolutely jobbed on a couple of calls. Um, one of the Jacob Robinson interceptions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that I, I, I feel like Sam Houston did more to lose the game than BYU did to go out and win the game. I, I don't know how Jacob you would Robinson. Yes. I, I, I don't know how you would feel about that. Um, uh, on a whole, but that's, that's kind of the vibe I got watching it in the stadium, uh, and then kind of listening and, and kind of mulling things over after the game that night. Yeah. But after letting it stew, I mean, just kind of transition there. Um, that was, that was actually decent. That was actually a literal literal transition. There. After letting it stew, uh, beef stew. Uh, sorry, I'm. <laughs> that was anyway. Um, after letting it stew, I'm actually really impressed by this BYU team and what they did. And let me tell you why. Let me give you my devil's advocacy toward BYU. Okay. Was it was it spectacularly impressive? No, but. Keaton Slovis showed incredible arm strength. He showed that he can zip the ball. And for the first time in a long time, we saw a BYU quarterback overthrow a deep ball. That's something we haven't seen in years. So that is something that I actually love seeing. BYU's top two wide receivers in Keanu Hill and Cody Epps were out. Let me explain to you why that makes such a big difference. Okay. Our number one wide receiver was probably Chase Roberts with you got it uh the guy from UConn and Lassiter from um, Eastern Michigan. Mm -hmm. They are being covered by the top three defenders. Whereas Chase Roberts normally on the field is a number three, right? If you have um, Keanu Hill and you have Cody Epps on the field, the best defenders are going to be guarding them. They are not going to be guarding these other guys. It's going to be the bottom tier guys guarding our other wide receivers. The our bottom our other wide receivers, which are not bad, are going to be able to create separation on defenders that are not number ones and number twos. Whereas Cody Epps and Keanu Hill can create separation on those number ones and number twos. So if we get them back, I think our wide receiver core and our passing game will look entirely different. 
Sam Houston entirely hangs their hat on their run defense. Their entire defense is designed to stop the run. And we still put up over 100 yards. Wasn't great, but LJ Martin provided a spike late that really, a spark late that really, really like kind of pushed us over the edge. And I'm really excited about that. Um, Isaac Rex was utilized a lot today, which I think is important that we're utilizing the tight end because that unlocks another phase of our offense that we otherwise didn't have last year when, for whatever reason, Isaac Rex only got looked at two times a game. Isaac Rex was being looked at consistently. So those were some of the positive things that I saw out of BYU. But before I go on anymore, I want to hear what you think after letting this do. Uh, I mean, I agree uh, with a lot of those things. Um, Firstly, uh, so I I did some film study today. Um, I watched the game over. The recording didn't start until halfway through the first quarter, so I missed the only good drive BYU had. Um, (laughs) So I did not see, I did not rewatch that drive. But in the rest of the game, uh, there, there, there were a lot of good things that I think went under the radar, uh, in, in the game, because we were so focused on the lack of point scoring. Um, I, I mean, some of the great things, obviously you talked about it. LJ, LJ Martin had 91 of our 112 rushing yards. Like he was the ball carrier and he didn't even get a touch until the second half. Um, and our, our, our O line, like I'll say this, the O line played horrible in the first half. Uh, we, we love this outside zone run scheme where the line is creating horizontal movement rather than vertical movement. Um, we do a couple of, there were a couple of new wrinkles into that zone kind of run scheme. Um, there were a couple of pulls where we'd pull the guard and tackle from one side, shift the center guard and tackle from the other side over and kind of create this little like separating of the red sea. It didn't work all the time, especially in the first half. Uh, a lot of missed blocks, especially by Etienne. What you were saying during the game, Justin mentioned like, hey, Etienne got subbed out, you know, like he's, you know, that there's something to keep an eye on. And as I was rewatching the game, I kind of watched Caleb Etienne looking for that. And he missed a lot of blocks. Now, I don't know what kind of run scheme they run at, at Oklahoma State. Maybe he's just not used to it. Maybe he's still getting into the 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 vibe, the, you know, the the pattern of how to block in this BYU run scheme. Um but he missed a lot of blocks that cost our running backs. Um, and I think one of the ways that LJ succeeded is that he could make a man miss in the hole. He's smaller, he's shiftier, he's quicker. Um, and that's something that Aiden Robbins didn't really showcase in this game. Uh, he's great at powering through those guys and falling forward for a couple of yards that somebody else wouldn't. Um, but he, he didn't show that kind of quickness to adjust in the hole and make a man miss, get to the second level. Um, the O-line needs to play a lot better. And I think some of it too will come with that gelling, uh, but also the running backs. Um, Deion Smith didn't get a ton of carries. Uh, he got three carries and one of them was for minus five yards um, because he ran right into a blitz and that was just bad luck. Uh, but he's a shifty guy that I think can succeed in this if he can set the edge um, on the outside, which is the whole point of the outside zone, right? Is to make them scared of the edge so that you can cut back up the middle. Um, so that was something that stuck out to me It's something that improved in the second half, uh, especially with LJ at the running back position, because he was able to help his offensive line look better by making quick cuts and making the man miss, um, play calling was honestly, like, I thought it was bad during the game, but it was really bad. Keaton threw three deep balls the entire game. Um, one of them 
was overthrown, like like you said, <laughs> something we haven't seen in a long time. Uh, the other two were underthrown, and I think it was just a little bit of a timing issue. Uh, one of them was to Isaac Rex. One of them was to Darius Lassiter. Both of them were open. Uh, he just underthrew his guy a little bit. Um, speaking of Isaac Rex, like you said, Keaton loves him and was going to him a lot, but Isaac Rex just wasn't making enough plays. Like there were a couple of drops, a couple of plays where he got absolutely manhandled by the defense, which wasn't his fault, right? It's just the defense was playing him really, really tough. Probably got away with a couple of PIs there. Um, but I do agree that having Keanu and Cody back will help. Hopefully, uh, kind of what you said, um, with drawing the eyes of the defense, having them key off of those two will open up a Lassiter and a Marion and a Chase Roberts who are better against kind of the second tier of that defense. Um, and then finally, just on the BYU defense, like I said, I wasn't super enthused when I first watched them, but after watching them again, holy crap, dude, our D line was in the backfield on almost every single play. Like that's something we never saw from BYU last year. They were never in the backfield. They were never pushing the offensive line back towards the quarterback. They were always dropping. They were always soft. Uh, we saw a ton of backfield tackles. We saw a ton of TFLs as well. Like it, just in the game, we had six. When was the last time we had six TFLs in a single game? Like that's incredible. Um, the secondary is a little TFLs suspect. All last season. <laughs> I know, right? Um, there was only the one sack, but Sam Houston ran a lot of short passes, a lot of run plays. So, it, you know, I, I assume we'll see that go up with more pass heavy defense or pass heavy offense. Um, and then the secondary still just a little bit suspect Malik Moore missed a wide open interception. Jacob Robinson was obviously insane. The passes that he picked off were bad throws, but he made the most of it. And then Camden Garrett played really, really well, way better than I expected him to, but I need to see him against higher competition before I like truly, truly believe in him. And, uh, yeah, I know we're just kind of ranting at this point, but, uh, <laughs> um, those kind of are my notes, uh, that, that I saw after watching film again, uh, the main thing on offense O-line and give Keaton more opportunities. Bro's got an arm bro. Like there are some layered throws that were absolutely insane. You'll see like maybe six, seven quarterbacks in all of college football that can make those throws above the linebacker underneath the safety. And he made those time and time again, but we just need to let him cook. He, 145 pass yards, like is not good enough. He, he needs to get, um, way more than that. And he, and he can, we just need to give him the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you were talking a lot about the defense and to kind of add to your point of players that were doing well, well on our defense. Um, Eddie Hecker looks like he's that guy. Eddie Hecker played extremely well and he was making some big hits. We got some absolute dudes at corner and at linebacker routes were being covered extremely well in the short deep. There were some mishaps here and there, but that's going to happen when you have a third string safety in. <laughs> big hits were being made by Ben Bywater, by Max Tooley, by Eddie Record, by Eddie Heckard. Jacob Robinson was being a beast. Like this was a, and I think you noticed this too, Jared, as you were watching. We we noticed this in person, and I'm sure you probably noticed this on film too. BYU's defense looked a lot more aggressive on Saturday than they have in years past. They were gang tackling, they were flying to the ball, they were not just dragging guys to the ground, but they were putting their shoulders through people and taking them down backwards instead of just falling, you know, and giving them the extra couple of yards. So I love to see that. Um, on Sam Houston's 33 dropbacks, they were pressured 15 times. That's less than 50%, but that's still a pretty good pressure rate. It's way um, better seven, than last year. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
seven of those QB pressures belonged to Tyler Batty. So Ooh. Tyler Batty was doing a very good job, and he got that sack, that shoestring tackle in the on that first drive, which was hilarious. But I want to see more. I want to see more if we are going to be playing lower quality teams. SUU, I want to see at least a 50% pressure rate. If we can almost get to 50% versus Sam Houston, we should be able to do it versus SUU. I let's, let's have an let's have an honest talk, Jared. Yeah, let's let's have an honest talk. I would love to. Kalani Satake. We love that guy, right? Yeah, I, I would say generally, yeah. The man just does not know when to pull out a fake punt. No. I, <laughs> he just doesn't. That's probably the worst quality. Kalani's toxic trait is that he is addicted to going for a fake punt in a situation where he absolutely should not go for a fake punt. I mean, the three I can think of, Johnny Linehans. Yep. Ryan Raikow, who like is a very standstill punter, right? He doesn't move. He doesn't do the rugby rollout, you know? Right. So if he takes one step in the direction, the defense is going to immediately cue on that. Like, mm-hmm. is that... And then in 2020, when we ran that fake punt up like 35 points for 50 yards, <laughs> that was one of those situations where we didn't need to do that. Why? <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was hilarious. I remember watching it live and cracking up, but still. We were like, what the freak? <laughs> yeah, so uh, Kalani's fake punt privileges should be taken away and given to Popinga. 100% agree. 100% agree. Um, that was despicable. It was absolutely stupid. Um, I Tyler Batty and John Nelson, poor guys, trying to block a couple of defensive linemen, absolutely <laughs> screaming at the punter. Like after Rico got tackled, you could just see Batty and Nelson just being like, "What were you supposed to do?" Like I, yeah, I don't know how to block somebody. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And you're punting from like your own thirty. They're sending the house because they want to block that thing. That was a a very stupid stupid decision. Um, yeah, uh, I don't. I I want to say something that I saw in film, and I I can't remember if it was the possession before the fake punt or the possession after, but it was around that same time. Um, something I saw from Keaton Slovis when he went off the field after like another three and out or like I don't know because in that in that little period in the second half we had like so many like holding hands in the face off like false starts. Delay of game, stupid, stupid penalties that really killed the drives. Um, he came off the field, and uh, as they all kind of went towards the bench, he like grabbed them and was like grabbing their face masks. And he held the entire offense that came off the field. He held them together in a huddle, and you could see it on the broadcast. He starts pointing at him and being like, "Hey, we need to do this. You need to do this." And he was like a field general, like he was yelling at guys. He was pointing at people like saying, hey, when we go out there next time, we need to, like, show the heck up because this is bad. And so I love seeing that from him. Um, it's been a while since I feel like we had a quarterback that was, like, a, like a general, right, that was able to be mean in the situations that that warranted it, right? Like, Jaron Hall was great, giving Jake Oldroyd hugs after we won the game, right? But we need, like, a <laughs> hard-nosed war general that's going to pull the troops together and galvanize – uh, a scoring drive, which they did on the very next possession that led into the fourth quarter that again scored with the uh, Keaton Slovis rushing touchdown. 
Um, but I, I just wanted to mention that because that's something that we haven't seen from a BYU quarterback in a while, and I absolutely loved it. You mean he wasn't just standing there on the sidelines smiling and laughing as the game was spiraling out of control? Down 35 like in the fourth other quarter. quarterbacks? <laughs> it was out of context, Justin. Uh, one last thing before we move on. Sorry, my bad. Out of context. Uh, one last thing before we move on. Um, our kicker kicked the ball through the end zone on every kickoff. When's the last time that happened? Uh, I don't know, actually. Uh, I, I was very not impressed. Just Pooch kicking the ball at the five anymore? <laughs> I was very impressed with the kicker. Like, honestly, like, I mean, our one field goal attempt got blocked. Um, <laughs> but it was offsides, right? The the flag that saved the season. Um, I, I was impressed. I was not impressed with Parker Kingston. Um, very fast, has a bright future. But two doy-doy plays. One on the kickoff. You don't take a kickoff out that's six yards deep in the end zone. I'm sorry. I don't care who you are. Don't do it. Um, and then secondly, when he ran out of bounds, like two yards short on third and eight, and he just like jaunted out of bounds without even trying to get the first down. Um, but again, I, I don't know why that popped into my head, but it's just a reminder. This is the first game. We do have, you know, younger kids in starting position. Uh, so maybe be patient. It's not something we do here a lot on this podcast, but it's maybe something we're going to need to have to do uh, in the future with this BYU team. And we can be patient. We got SUU next week, who is, I mean, not great, but not awful. I mean, they kept it close with Arizona State, which, you know, yeah, 24-21. It's a little misleading. They had that blocked field goal at the end that led to a touchdown and garbage time. You know, it wasn't as close as the score suggests, but still, they kept that game close. But after that, we have to travel to Arkansas to take on an Arkansas team that is receiving votes in the AP poll right now. And if the cards fall right, could be ranked by the time we play them in Fayette. Yes. And that game will be primetime ESPN two. That is a massive, massive game. Um, our offense has a lot to figure out against SU. Let's just say that yep. uh, this, I mean, like, like you were saying, SU, you did only lose by three to Arizona state, but little deceiving of a scoreline. And also there was like a three hour haboob delay. Um, and the game finished at like two 30 local. Like it was, it was very, very uh, late. A lot of people just wanted to get out of there and go home. Um, but SUU does present a challenge. Like our offense will not get away with scoring 14 points again. Um, and, and I, and I kind of want to get your, your thoughts on this SUU game. What do you want to see BYU change moving forward? Uh, what what do you need to see in this upcoming game that will kind of like quell your concerns, kind of uh, quench that thirst for offense uh, or just complete play? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I need to see is more dominant offensive line play. Um, I just want to see our offensive line bully SUU. That's what I want to see. Just absolute domination. I want a run game to amass over 200 yards. I want to see that. Um I want to see guys that have been injured at least take a few snaps. I want to see Cody Epps out there. I want to see Keanu Hill out there. I want them to at least get their sea legs under them for when we play Arkansas next week. Other than that, I just want to see the football build on. I, I, I just want to see our defense build upon the momentum that they started with in week one. And if they can pitch another shutout, but at least keep the team, keep SUU to 10 points or less. No, I, I would love that. I, I, the defense needs to do the same, right? I don't know if a shutout is in the cards again, 
back-to-back shutouts would be incredible. But Shout like out's you said, hard to do. Yeah. But like you said, under 10 points, like two scores or less would be awesome. Um, and then, uh, like you said, with the offensive line, needs to be dominant. Like we need to establish a run game early. I, I want to see us run for over 150 yards, like maybe over 200 yards, right? And I like you said, we need to bully them. We need to run downfield. I hate the stupid outside zone stuff where our big, huge, huge is moving sideways, taking these other guys like to the side. Like when we rushed moving forwards, albeit like four or five times all game last Saturday, when we rushed moving the O-line forward, there were like three or four yards before contact. Like we absolutely destroyed Sam Houston when we were rushing forwards, but it was a stupid outside and inside zone stuff where we we're trying to move the defensive lines laterally instead of just exerting our will and moving them straight downfield. Um, and, and I don't want to see that against SUU. And then I want to see the pass game open up too. I want Slovis to have over 250 yards. I want to see just an offensive explosion score over 30 points. I, if, if we don't see that, I'm going to be genuinely worried that we are going to win like four games, maybe right this season. Cause we, our offense is way too talented to, to not score 30 points against SUU of all teams. So if we don't, uh, that that's my, that's my quota is 30, 35 points and above uh, for the offense. If not, I'm hitting the panic button. Yeah, I got to agree with that. I want to see at least 40 points, but I would be satisfied with 35 or 38 as well. Um, I don't know. As of right now, BYU is only a good team. Good teams win. Great teams cover. BYU did not cover the spread last week. They nope. missed it by six full points. So BYU cannot be a great team until they cover the spread. Yes. Uh, I'm interested to see what the spread is versus Southern Utah. Sometimes they don't uh, announce spreads for FCS games but I assume this one will have one because it's going to be closer than people would think. I believe. Uh, yes. Is there a line? I, I don't know if line yet. I'm sure there will be by the time the listeners are listening to this. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to see. See. Yeah. I don't know. It, I cannot figure it out. Um, Should we all play I see guess is a the bunch spread? of statistics. Sure. Let's do it. Guess the spread. Mm. Um, my guess is 21 and a half. I'm going to guess like 18 and a half or something. Okay. I am not finding it. Unfortunately. No, I'm not finding it either. It's great podcasting. Great podcasting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're just going to say that it is not there. <laughs> no okay. spread. Maybe that's a good thing for BYU, right? Maybe we won't be thinking about the spread. Um, <laughs> That, that'll help not distract us. It'll keep us focused on the offensive end. We won't be worried about hitting the over, scoring lots of points. Exactly. All right, should we move on and talk about the rest of college football then? Let's, let's do it. It was a weekend, and we need to get it started. Oh, heck yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Wah, wah, wah. We start off our nifty journey in the city with the big old undrinkable lake kind of salty out there boom where some gators were hunting for some swoop hoping to turn him into some poop billy napier led his men into rice at glees but much like a graham cracker dipped too long in milk Mertz disintegrated in the thin utah air handing the huge a 24 to 11 home victory 
Next up, we had the Minnesota, where the Golden Golfers had only had one bald 40-year-old at the helm. Hmm? Huh? In a good old-fashioned Big Ten football showdown, the under was never in doubt, even though Alex Bollocks, Bollock, caught a toodly from Jeffrey Sim City 4 early in the second half. Matt Rulski had the black shirt so black until the ghost of Scott Frost reared his ugly head with less than four minutes to go in classic Nebraska fashion. In that classic Nebraska fashion, two butt ugly turnovers and a complete emotional breakdown cost the Huskers the game. As Miss Anoda said, get that cord out of my face. 13 to 10. Wowzers. We head down south to the not-so-Christian-like University of Texas, where Prime and Colorado were trying to prove that they were for worth the money. A fan in the student section trash-talked Travis Hunter, who became the embodiment of the Michael Jordan. And I took that personal. Mean. Even though Colorado's defense looked worse than Deion Sanders' foot after having two toes removed, TCU somehow looked even worse. But Colorado walks away with a statement of a victory. 45-42. to 42. Other, uh, in another place in Texas, Baylor, a hardly knower. But that's exactly what TJ, <laughs> TJ, and the rest of Texas State, yes, not Texas Tech, not Texas A&M, not te the University of Texas at Austin, Texas State, Texas did State. to the poor bear Cubs. Chip and Joanna gained a hell of a lot of followers Saturday night as the city of Waco projectile vomited their way out of McLean Stadium and backed into their hibernation holes for another 12 months. Meanwhile, the Barrasos overfilled with the tears of a thousand Baptist preachers as the Robert Cats absolutely violated the Baylor defense for 28 first half points and never looked back, snagging their first win over a P5 program ever, 42 to 31. That's ridiculous, Boom. Hey, hey Boom, I got a question for you. Uh, yeah, maybe I have an answer. Remember when SpongeBob was shaped like Texas and asked Patrick, hey, what am I? And Patrick responded, stupid. And SpongeBob <laughs> responded, no, I'm Texas. And they both said, what's the difference? <laughs> well, we remain in that state, but head even south here where Jeff was hoping to hook up his trailer and drive out of Houston with a W. Ooh, Dana, ho, 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 goes in. Had other plans, however, limiting the <laughs> the only 15 points. Houston didn't do much better with 17, but that still was two points that led to an ugly victory in the land of the Yeehaw. Houston the wins ye 17 to 15. The Yeehaw. Yeehaw. Ye don't get better than this. We head over to the great single state of Carolina where Drake Mayflower and the Tarful <laughs> That was the worst Chewbacca noise I've ever made. Healy torched with the fake USC Cox, worse than an icy hot swipe. However, <laughs> in a Stranger Things upside down world turn of events, it weren't the North Car offense that did the scorching. Spencer Fatler couldn't slither or strike as he was torpedoed for an India Gulf Niner nine sacks. Our stat of the day brought to you by Duke's Mayo is only good for dumping and not out of Uranus is this. The Civil War starters had 31 rush attempts, 
for negative two yards. Oh? And I thought the BYU run game was bad. UNC cements itself as one of the best in the worst P5 league, beating the suck. Carolina. Uh, 31 to 17. Carolina, Carolina, you're the reason for the word. You suck. <laughs> now, Texas Tech decided it was going to play Wyoming this year, Jerry. Huh. Or boom, sorry. Surely you're thinking, right? You're getting to using your noggin. And you're saying, well, this game had to be at Texas Tech, correct? correct. A G5 playing a P5 in out-of-conference play. Of course. But for some random sicko reason, you'd be wrong. What's for the difference? Reason. What's the difference? They're stupid. Joey McGuire said he wasn't scared to travel to Laramie, but maybe he should have been a little spooked. The fighting Josh Allens of PP Poo Poo University sniffed that W late in the game and sang Rick Astley's ballad, never gonna keep you up, never gonna let Texas Tech score a touchdown, never gonna mess around and hurt you. That's a banger. With the, that's a banger. With the voice of an angel, PP Poo Poo State took the Red Raiders to overtime, where they out two-point conversion tech, ending their feature on Katy Perry's hit song, Dark Horse. Wyoming beats Texas 35 to 33. We arrive Sunday Eve, where all the sinners in the world gathered to keep the Sabbath day holy by watching a glorious college football game. Ain't no better the way, boom. Go Tigers! Took on the oh, 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 Florida State oh, 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 not just semi knoll. The first half much resembled last year's affair with both parties trying to get caught by their current spouses. I mean, with both teams trying to lose the ball game. Huh? However, the Yessels, see what I did there, boom? Uh -huh. Came out in the second half and absolutely <laughs> The measly little strike gets 31 to zero until LSU's Garbo time. Brian Kelly Clarkson was singing what doesn't kill you makes you look stupid as he left the stadium a big fat loser. 45 to 24. You have won the biggest loser. <laughs> we finish off in Durham, North Carolina, where a war was raging in football heaven. The Blue Devils of Duke, led by their devilishly good quarterback, found fought against Davo Sweeney and his army of Christian soldiers on the football field. Onward. All, uh, onward. All eyes were on Clemson's offense with new offensive coordinator Garrett Riley, but it looks like he's more scared of touchdowns than his brother Lincoln is of the SEC. Clemson only musters one. The Dukies may have earned their coach an extension on Monday, but that professor still rejected Riley Leonard's extension request on his homework. Student athletes, they're at Duke. They do, <laughs> they do play school there. Duke wins it, 28-7. to seven. Woo! Uh, I need some water. No, First uh, uh, I forgot. 59 of the season out of the way. Uh, did you hear that story about the Duke quarterback and his homework extension, though? I, I did. Uh, I was going to bring that up a little bit later uh, because that the is professor's response? a story. Did you see the professor's response? Yes. <laughs> let's let's just bring it up now. Okay. Uh, no, no, no. We're going to save it. We're going to save it till later. We, okay. Okay. We'll, we'll it. save it. Okay. Um, before we hop into that, let's re let's go over our picks because it was kind of a rough week, especially for me. I had a very rough week. Um, last year I lost uh by like five or six games 
Uh, I stuck to my principles, though, and you can never be mad with sticking to your principles. Um, this week, I did not stick to my principles, and I did even worse. So it, I may be going back to the principle picks. Um, I went four and six. Uh, it, yeah, very, very bad. It was a while until one of us went under 500 last year. I'm just getting it out of the way early. Justin, you went five and five, even yeah, 500. You know, not a great way to start the season, but not a terrible way either. At least I'm not under 500 like some people. Yeah, exactly. You're just starting fresh right there. The fans, however, went eight and two. Um, yeah, clap it up. The Bravo. fans know. Bravo. Um, as for the upset picks, I drunk the Kool-Aid. I bought into Hawaii. That is something I will never, ever do again. I Hawaii has done this to me multiple times, and this was the last straw. I will never, ever believe Hawaii is back ever again. You Justin, you had a nice week, though. Yeah, you should believe that NIU is back, baby. I told you that that was stinky, that they were going to beat Boston College, and they did just that in overtime. Beating Boston College, earning me three points on the upset picks. I am super excited to start the year on a plus three margin. That's huge. That is absolutely huge. And they were like nine and a half point underdogs, so that's a big cover for you. Mm-hmm. Outright win there. Heck yeah. Um, Yeah. I, I am not choosing Hawaii and I'm going back to my principal picks. So <laughs> that's my uh, moral of the story for week one. All right. Some quick questions for you, Jared, about week one of college football. Now that, you know, week one has come and passed. We now get to look forward to week two. And in doing so, we can reminisce. Some things good, some things bad. Some things the jury is still out on. One of those things is the new clock rules. For the first week ever, we saw the new clock rules in action in college football. Jared, do you think the new clock rules were a net positive or a net negative for college football? Jared's blowing raspberries, but we can't hear it because his mic won't pick it up. Uh, absolutely thumbs down. Horrible, stupid, bad, bad, bad. Um, the games. Oh, Did you try again? So, that was bad. Uh, Siri did not like them either. Um, very, very bad. Uh, they're shortening the games to make room for more commercials. Um, the, the games are going faster. Like the game time is, but total game time is still the same because commercials are longer. Uh, there were some three minute, 55 second commercial breaks. Are you kidding me? And they're like, after every single change of possession, every single score, um, it, it really does break up the flow of the game. Like the game has no flow. There are certain parts of the game, especially like the TCU Colorado game was hard to watch because it was just three plays commercial, three plays commercial, three plays commercial. Um, I am 100% out. It, it was, this is terrible, terrible for the sport, terrible for the games, terrible for the fans, but great for those TV executives. And that's all that matters apparently. I mean, somebody's got to pay those checks to the Big Ten and the SEC, right? They got to do it one way or another. Um, I honestly hate the rules, too. I think they're dumb. Some of the comebacks that were possible in college football before are no longer possible. It just simply aren't because the clock won't stop. Watching Florida try to come back versus Utah when they were painstakingly taking their time. I don't understand what they were doing. They thought the clock was stopping or something. They just would not hurry up. But... In one drive, like the entire third quarter or the, the entire first half of the fourth quarter was gone. It was it was disgusting to watch. Like the clock should have been stopping. I completely miss our Wilson. 
get them ready for the NFL. You know, we want to make this sport like the NFL. Who in their right mind would want to turn something as beautiful as college football into something so dry and unfun as the NFL? I 100% agree. It's it is it is slowly becoming the NFL, which is stupid because the NFL is completely commercialized. There's no like it's so much less about the actual football. Um, and and I hope that the people in charge are listening because I feel like the fans are 100% united in that there's too many commercials, they're too long, and the clock rules suck. Um, yeah, you know I think the people, the executives are probably listening to this podcast episode right now. I, I think they are. So. Tony Petiti, Greg Sankey, Bob Iger, all of you big wigs, stop it. Stop ruining our sport. It was ours to begin with, and it's not yours just because you have more money. It's still ours, the fans, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, next quick fire question. Is Colorado for real? Obviously, the game versus uh, TCU was an absolute banger. Unless you're a TCU fan, then it sucked. It was very, very fun to watch. I hate Deion Sanders uh, to start, just to get that out of the way. So I was not happy with the result, but I cannot argue that that was objectively one of the greatest games of college football that we'll probably see this year. But is Colorado for real? Shooter Sanders looks like the real deal, man. He he played good. He played really good. He was accurate. He was mobile. He was He was just good. Travis Hunter looks like the real deal as well. Was dominating on offense and on defense. He got trash-talked by the TCU student section while he was warming up, then intercepted the ball literally right in front of where he was trash-talked and called overrated and went right into the stands and said, who said that? Who said that? Like, it was just <laughs> – it was it was a big I'm him moment. Um, is Colorado for real? I don't know yet because TCU's defense definitely is not. But, um, I mean, Colorado plays Nebraska this week, like – Nebraska kind of sucks right now. So we might see Colorado come out to an emphatic 2-0 start. I just, I don't think as backwards as the sound, the sounds, I don't think there's any way we can tell if Colorado is for real until they are in Pac-12 play. And they're playing schools that align with, I don't know, their style of football. So I don't know. It's weird. But my prediction has went from Colorado being like 2-10 to Colorado making a bowl. I'm with you. I don't know if I'm all the way to a bowl game because this was like, we'll get to a little bit later, but TCU's defense was horrible, like absolutely despicable. Um, but Colorado looked competent, which is something that I did not expect to see. So like you said, I think the jury's still out on Colorado. We'll wait and see how they fare against Nebraska, who has a, a really good defense. Um, and we'll see if they can, they can slow down this Colorado passing attack. Uh, next question. Is the Pac-12 the best conference? They went 13-0 and in week zero slash one. The only conference to have done that in like 20 years or something. Every Since single... 1980. 40 yeah. years. So 40 years. That's ridiculous. Um, it, are they the best conference? Is this more just a factor of playing stupid teams? I, what's your take? Is the Pac-12 the GOAT? No. No, they are not. The Pac-12 will never be the GOAT. They do have some really good teams this year, and I can't deny that the Pac-12 is better this year than it has been in the last probably 10 years. Like, it's as good as it – it's probably as good as it was during the Marcus Mariota era. Like, we've definitely seen a step up from the Pac-12. Do I think they're the best conference in the nation? Absolutely not. But I don't think they're the worst. That title is proudly worn by the ACC. 
<laughs> yes, I definitely agree. I think, um, I mean, the, the teams that had actual wins that we're talking about are like Colorado, Washington. Um, that that's basically it. That Those are the only teams that really played like a hard team and did well. Uh, I'm not going to put Utah in there because Florida's a dumpster fire. Um, but like, we didn't see them win a lot of hard games, but it is very impressive that even the worst teams in the conference did win, uh, FBS matchups with Stanford and Cal beating Hawaii and North Texas. So I, I think it's going to be very fun to watch. I think it's hilarious that they're doing so well parentheses in week one. Right. But I think it's very funny that they're doing so well the year before they absolutely implode and get raided. Um, yeah, I know that's what, hilarious. What does that say to you about Pac-12 conference leadership and George Klyovkov and uh, whatever the last guy's name was? I think that's just very funny. Uh, but I am very excited to watch the Pac-12. Like, I, I honestly think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, and I'm excited to watch these Pac-12 after dark games this year. Yeah, no, I, honestly, they might be worth logging on to streamies <laughs> for. <laughs> um, where, whereas in years past, they weren't. They really weren't. Yeah. Um. We also saw a lot of slow starts from a lot of really good teams. Washington, Florida State, LSU, Ohio State, Texas, Georgia, Tennessee. Like, basically name a good team that's not Alabama or Oregon or Oklahoma, and they had a very slow start this weekend. So is there anything to worry about, or is there anyone to worry about, or is this more just a week one, kind of getting the jitters out, gelling with the team kind of kind of thing? Um, Quinn Ewers is like Samson from the Bible. Ooh. He cut his hair. He lost his power. I like it. I honestly think, you know, Texas started off slow, and they didn't play great versus Rice. Offensively and defensively, they played pretty good. But offensively, they did not play great. Oklahoma looked like it was firing on all cylinders. I, before the season started, I had Texas as a, like, Sharpie W in the Red River rivalry. Mm Mm-hmm. I've got Oklahoma penciled in as a W right now. Wow. It's shifted that much in one week. There's still a lot more to see, and they're not going to play for a while. So there could be Quinn, there could be time for Quinn Ewers to grow his hair back and regain favor in the sight of the Lord, you know. But um <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? Uh I I think the one that jumps out obviously is an Ohio State fan. Ohio State. They did not only have a slow start, they had a slow game quarterback position is terrible there there's the running attack is terrible the offensive line is terrible the defense is really good I mean it was Indiana so you can't really say they were great um but scoring 23 points against Indiana scoring 23 points against literally anyone in the country is absolutely disgusting from Ohio State um so right now I am I I am very out on Ohio State my own team Cabo Cord did not look good Devin Brown didn't even like throw a pass basically until the fourth quarter in garbage time. I think Ohio state might win nine games this year. And I don't even know if that's including the bowl game or not. Like this is a very, very mediocre Ohio state team compared to what we've had in the past. Um, I think they are someone to worry about. Uh, And then Texas, I agree. Like that game was a 10 point game in the third quarter or something like, and it was rice. So uh, yeah. Um, Especially with all the weapons that Texas has at quarterback. I'm excited to see this t- Alabama game and see how short the leash is on Quinn Ewers. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, this is gonna be that's gonna be a very interesting game to watch, especially because, and this is something I'll get to later. Alabama looks like they have a quarterback again. Ooh, hot take. Oh, which I guess segues perfectly into our next uh, quick fire question: Who's your Heisman front runner after Week One? I think if Travis Hunter could keep up, like having what was it, like two picks and. 100 over 100 receiving yards playing 129 snaps i think he'll hands down win the heisman if he could keep it up but there's no way like unless he is a freak of nature and is some sort of like tom brady once in a lifetime athlete there's no chance you can play 130 snaps every single week for 13 you know 13 weeks and survive he's either going to get fatigued or injured or both there's no chance he can keep that up um i think he'll be in the running though but when he can't keep up playing both sides of the ball and being stellar on both sides, I think it's going to be Michael penis. Um, mm, our, our boy, our boy penis jr. Over at Washington played incredible, uh, like four touchdowns in the, in the first half alone against Boise state. He's cooking over, had like 450 pass yards. Um, I think that if they can go through and win the, win the conference, win the pac 12, he, he is right now. My husband front runner. What about you? I mean, kind of staying in that Pacific Northwest region, Bo Picks was looking good, man. Woo! Granted, they played a terrible team and absolutely <laughs> slobber knocking that team. Like, it was putting up 81 points on anybody is just disrespectful. Very. It just did not care. Um, Bo Nix looked really good. Um, if he can continue this level of play and win a Pac 12 championship, I think there's a definite consideration for him at Heisman. How do you, how did Jalen? How do you say this, man? Um, Alabama's quarterback. <laughs> Jalen Milroe looked really good, man. He is the only Alabama quarterback in history, I think, right? To record three passing touchdowns and two rushing touchdowns in the same game or vice versa. I don't know. Don't it was like some ridiculous stat. He looks good, man. He is mobile. He's got a really good arm. He's not just a scramble and huck it guy like he's got accuracy he's got pinpoint accuracy on the run and when he decides to tuck it he is extremely athletic in the open field he's going to be a force to be reckoned with uh, I, I i agree with the week one lookout but i'm gonna withhold judgment for one reason and it's because alabama slobber knockered utah state in week one last year and then almost lost to texas the next week yeah. We kind of have that same situation. Now, you could be 100% right. Jalen Milrow could be God's gift to football. He could be the Heisman winner, right? Because um, he certainly looked the part in, in game one. But I, I want to see him against Texas next week. Uh, very, very excited for that matchup um, before, I, before I put him in any special category, if that makes sense. Hey, fair enough. I can, I can get behind that. Um, last question in our quote-unquote quick fire <laughs> Um, Q and a, uh, are you back in football washing shape? Yes. And no. Okay. I am back. I am back in, I'm back in on the couch shape. Like I very successfully sat down and scrolled through games, figured out what games I wanted to watch was on my phone, on the ESPN app, making sure that I knew which games were close and which games were having hilarious things happening in them. And I was flipping back and forth like a champion. My thumb was doing work on that remote. Um, In-person football watching, though, I'd say no. 
uh, I almost lost my voice and I wasn't even screaming for half the possessions because it was so lackluster of a BYU performance. But uh, yeah, so that that's my take. How about yours? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I, I felt like I was kind of getting in the hang of it, but between the tailgate and the real game and all the different things going on, I realized I'm way out of shape. My voice was not ready uh, for Saturday night. I was wrecked on Sunday. Um, I I need to figure out some way to print the weekend watch guides because it didn't work on my computer um, somehow. So I need to get that down and then getting the TV set up. YouTube TV has this new multi-view thing. I'm still trying to figure out how to use that because it kind of low-key sucks, but it's also a nice option to have. Um, yeah, I was I was late too. It was like 10.05 and I'm still like trying to finish up the chores while I'm watching the end of game day picks. I'm like looking at my watch. So week two will be a big step up. Hopefully me and BYU take a giant leap forward in week two and we can get back into football shape. Yeah, you know, this is going to be an interesting one, but uh, do you know who was not in BYU football shape or college football watching shape? Who? BYU's security and ticketing team. Oh, yoy, yoy. If you didn't go to the game, it was an absolute fiasco. It took like 20 minutes to get in the door because they insisted on walking you through at the pace of a freaking snail. Yep. And going through this detector that detected literally nothing and them scanning your ticket like normal, like they always do, but they only have one employee for two lines. Yeah, that was ridiculous. How can you? And the person doing it wasn't even like, We'll do one from this line, one from this line. It was like, let's do 30 from this line and then 10 from this line. It very, very, very much out of football shape. Yep, not good, not good. Um, let's get to a couple quick finishing off segments. We're just going to get our hot takes off now. Um, <laughs> we're going to do some buying, selling, and holding stock. Uh, we'll go through and we'll each give two or three teams uh, that we are either buying, selling, or holding stock in, uh, and we'll give a quick reason why. Justin, start off, start us off here. Who are you buying stock in right now? I'm buying stock in Notre Dame because they actually look good. Um, I feel disgusting saying that, but they look good. Sam Hartman looks good. Their defense looks good. All signs point to thumbs up for Notre Dame. And they have to play the ACC, and the ACC sucks. Um, Buying stock in Oklahoma, they look like a dominant force. Their offense was unstoppable. This might be controversial, but I'm buying stock in San Jose State University. Their quarterback looked very good against USC. Granted, USC kind of sucks, but um, (laughs) they just looked really good. San Jose State, granted, that was week zero, but still. Buying stock in San Jose State, I think that they might run through the Mountain West. Interesting. I like that take. Shavon Cordero, he's a good boy. He's a good, good quarterback. Who you um, buying stock I'm buying in? stock in Florida State. Florida State mm. looked like a juggernaut uh, on Sunday night in the second half. That was very impressive. UNC also buying stock in. Uh, their defense had nine sacks. What? I know it's Spencer Rattler, but still, like, he's mobile. Um, and then Oregon, right? I mean, if you hang 50 points on anybody in the first half, I'm going to buy stock in you. And then finally, weather delays. We saw a couple of them. Uh, Wyoming and Arizona state notably, and they greatly affected the game. So hopefully we can get one uh, when a good team comes to Provo, maybe late November against Oklahoma question mark. Oh, I am selling stock Jared, and I'm selling it fast. And these three teams, Baylor, um, no surprise. Baylor looks like a crap show, man. 
uh, Dave Aranda, who's supposed to be a defensively minded head coach, got absolutely dog walked by Texas State. Jeff Grimes, his offense sucked. It was bad. I'm selling stock in NC State. Um, NC State kind of struggled with UConn a little bit. Brennan Armstrong, only 155 passing yards. The reason I'm selling NC State stock is because the offensive coordinator still hasn't figured out that when you have a very good, high, powerful quarterback, that you should pass instead of running the ball all the time. <laughs> and lastly, Louisville. Louisville, you almost choked to Georgia Tech. You let Georgia Tech's offense look good. I'm selling sock quick in Louisville. <laughs> yeah, that's disgusting. You shouldn't do that under any circumstances. I'm selling stock in the Ohio State University for mm. the aforementioned reasons. Selling stock in TCU because their defense played a drop eight uh, most of the game against Colorado and made sure their Sanders looked like God's gift of football. Um, I'm selling stock in Clemson because they were hilariously bad in their yep. loss to Duke. Yep. It was so funny. I was cackling in laughter. Yeah, um, selling I would stock sell in- stock, but I never own stock in them. <laughs> true, true. Uh, selling stock in Texas Tech. Um, I had him as a dark horse. I think I actually had him winning the Big 12. Absolutely getting rid of all of that. Uh, UTSA had him winning the American. Offload that stock. And then the new clock rules. Mm. Uh, absolutely offloading that. I never had stock in those to begin with, but I'm selling even more of it now. Um, as far as holding stock, there's a couple of teams I'm still, the jury's still out on. Texas, like I said, I want to see them against Alabama. Are they? Do they really have problems or not? Arizona State, I think the Haboob delay was a, a big enough concern that the U, SUU game can't be taken at face value. Nebraska, is Scott Frost back? I need to see them play against Colorado, <laughs> maybe some Big Ten teams. Uh, Sconson. Sconson didn't look amazing versus Buffalo. Like, yes, no, they, they ran for a ton of yards, but I was not super impressed with them, expected a lot more. And then same with Penn State. Penn State, I am very, very confident in. And they were, you know, took a while to get going, but they eventually showed out uh, against West Virginia. But it was West Virginia. So I'm still holding stock. I'm not too overly or less confident in Penn State. I'm holding stock in three teams. UTSA. UTSA is, you know, didn't beat Houston. They came close. But I expected more from Jeff Trailer. I expected more from this team going up against a struggling Dana Holgerson fighting for his job. I thought UTSA was going to win that game, but they still fought hard. I'm holding stock in UTSA. I'm holding stock in Texas Tech, not selling them. Oh, interesting. Laramie is a weird place to play, man. And with all the stuff going on, losing in overtime, like, I don't know. I think Texas Tech might lose a dumb out-of-conference game like this and then still go and be competitive in the Big 12. Lastly, I could definitely see that. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Keep going. No, 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 no. That was good. Lastly, and this might be a controversial one: holding stock in Fresno State. Interesting. Very interesting. Did they beat Purdue? They did. Yes. <laughs> but of all the teams in the Power Five that are the least impressive to beat early in the year, Purdue is pretty close to number one on that list. <laughs> Purdue is a power five team. They can be good when they decide to be on a random November afternoon where they upset the number one team in the nation. But at the end of the day, they're still Purdue. So holding stock in Fregno staple. <laughs> um, I like that. I am interested to watch Fresno state because I thought I, 
I, th- I, I generally thought they weren't going to be any good without Jay Kaner anymore, but obviously they still can score 40 points a game, even with the new clock rules. So that's going to be an interesting one to watch. Um, Let's get into our overreaction week one playoff teams. Let's just fire through them. Justin, who do you have in your playoff after week one? Got Bama, number one Bama playing number four Duke. Ooh. Um, Duke is going to the playoff. Um, that's It's just going to happen. And then number two, Oregon taking on number three, BYU, of course, undefeated. undefeated. Juggernaut defense. Undefeated, unlike half the teams in the FBS. So top half. That is true. Um, my top four, uh, I have one team that's the same Oregon. Uh, obviously they looked super impressive, good enough to make the playoff with just one win over Portland state, um, Florida state. I was, they were violent in the second half against LSU, uh, Washington, uh, Michael penis was very impressive. They Mm. turned it on after like two possessions against Boise state. Absolutely blew that one open. And then Colorado, obviously. Because they're just a jug they're they are the best team in college football right now. I don't I don't know if you saw, but they beat TCU and Shredder Sanders had five hundred yards of total offense and Travis Hunter played 130 snaps and their defense gave up five hundred and ninety yards. Uh but it doesn't matter because Colorado's the greatest team to ever walk this earth and primetime said so. So it might as well just put them in the playoff right now. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, that's sounds good to me. <laughs> Let's hand out some awards, Jared. Uh one thing that we love on this podcast is awards. So we got some mini royalties. The royalties has not is not going to happen for at least another like what is it, like another like five months, six, at, seven months, at, even at least. <laughs> yeah, like a long time. But let's hand out some mini royalties. What awards would you like to hand out this week? Um, I got a couple. Uh, my first one, I'd like to give out the Elisa Tuiaki Award to mm. TCU defensive coordinator Joe Gillespie. Mm. Great job playing a drop eight against Colorado. Um, you made them look like the best offense that college football has ever seen. You had goal Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt um, absolutely pooing themselves in the booth because of how good they looked. And uh, you may have just lost your job. Um, so good job. The Elisa Tuiaki award goes to Joe Gillespie. Well-deserved. Well-deserved. I would like to give an award. It's the, it wasn't me. It was you award. <laughs> That goes to DJ Ukulele Ungalunga Bunga. Oh. DJ Uyungalele looked actually very good at Oregon State. He played a very good game. He was zipping the ball. He played I don't know, he, he played awesome. Lights out. And Garrett Riley, coaching offense at Clemson, made his quarterback look like an absolute like absolute stink bomb. So yeah, I don't I don't think DJ was the problem. Clap it up for DJ. Yep. He definitely won that breakup. Yeah, um, yes, he did. You win I, the it wasn't me, it was you award. Absolutely. Um, I have a another award. It's called the Stick Up Your Butt Award. Um, and we alluded to this earlier. Duke Professor Something Taylor. Uh he denied Duke's quarterback Riley Leonard, who played fantastic in the win against Clemson. Um, definitely the best offensive player on the field. Um he denied his request for a late exception on, on, on his homework. Uh, that is a wow. stick up your butt move. Bad, bad move, mm-hmm. Professor Taylor. Um, his reasoning was not sound. He said, "Hey, your offensive lineman got the assignment in on time, so why couldn't you, bro? He's the quarterback, and it, like I know, offensive line has its own tips and tricks and whatnot." 
The quarterback is the most important player on the football field. Of course, he's going to have to spend more time preparing for a game. Do you know nothing about football? You probably don't because you're an English professor at Duke University. Never even heard of football in your life. Just <laughs> responding to it because your kids saw it on TikTok and told you, hey, you should respond to this guy. It'd be kind of funny. No, stick up the butt. It was coming out of his eye holes. You could see it. Um, very, very frustrating. Riley Leonard deserves a free pass for the class. Give him mm-hmm. an A and move on. He yep. just had your highest ranked win in 38 years. Just give him a pass. Move on. Professor Taylor, you great stick up the butt anus, whatever. You win the out you win that award. Good job, buddy. Well deserved. Well deserved. Now my last award is the not Mason Wake Award. Oh, um, I'm interested. In I'm going to have to give this award to Jaden Daniels of LSU, <laughs> who decided that hurdling in the middle of a bunch of offensive and defensive linemen would definitely be a good idea, <laughs> where a linebacker promptly caught him in midair and drove his shoulder six inches through his rib cage into the <laughs> ground. That's a that good was... way to get your career ended, buddy. <laughs> the not Mason Wake Award goes to Jaden Daniels. That was like the stupidest decision. There's a middle linebacker just barreling at him. And he's like, I'm going to jump over this clump of guys in this very crowded space and just take an absolute missile to the chest. It, that was hilarious. Well-deserved. Congratulations. Well-deserved, Jaden Daniels. Um, now we're we're going to hand out a consensus award among the podcast every week. Um, and – and this week, it will be the Team of the Week Award. It may be the same moving forward. We don't know. We live by the seat of our pants. Um, but our All Together Now Team of the Week Award this week goes to... Da-da-da. Colorado! Colorado! School of Mines. <laughs> the Colorado School of Mines football program who in their game this previous week defeated the uh, Grand Valley State, who was number three in the nation, 31-28. to 28. Wow, close game. It was a banger. It was a banger. They beat number three, Grand Valley State, 31-28. to 28. Shout out to the Colorado School of Mines. Congratulations, Colorado School of Mines. It was a well-earned uh, altogether now Team of the Week award. Uh, everybody very much enjoyed watching your game on the day that it was played on the channel that it was broadcast on. Mm-hmm. Um, we greatly enjoyed it. Quarterback probably had a great game. Same with the defense. Um, but obviously they just came out, you know, one field goal ahead. So shout out to kicker 99. <laughs> that was a total seat of my, like I just said Colorado and then throughout school of mines. And it just so happens that without me knowing they had beaten the number 33, the number three team in the nation. So incredible. Colorado School of Mines, well-deserved, well-deserved. Um, well, I mean, that's that's basically it for week one. We've been here long enough, uh, probably time to sign off. <laughs> um, do you have any parting thoughts on week one or BYU's performance? Uh, we will be back on Friday morning mm-hmm. with a preview of week two. We'll get our tipsy 10 picks. We'll talk about the BYU-SUU game. We'll do our film recap. Uh and it will be the most in-depth and accurate week two preview of any podcast of any thing you have ever heard of in your entire life. So get ready for that. It's going to be amazing. 
Yes, do not let anyone on the BYU coaching staff listen to our analysis because they will want to hire us and will take us away from the podcast, and we just can't afford that. We we love this community that we've built too much. We want it to continue to grow. So if you enjoyed the episode, leave a five-star review and share the episodes with your friends. Make sure you're following us on Instagram and Twitter at Loyal to Royal Pod, where you'll find lots of fun content. We're in the season, so we're posting like crazy. And we got our first meme of the season up on the Instagram as well. So make sure you check that out. Share it with your friends. We love you guys. I think any any more party words, Jared? Goodbye now. Bye.